Hello, my friends, and happy Monday. I'm going to start off this episode by being super honest and telling you that it is 10.20 p.m. on Sunday night, the night before this episode is going to air. Now, I don't usually put it off this long, but my family and I have been in Glacier National Park for the past week. It was an incredible trip. We loved it. And I'm going to be putting together a post on my website in the next couple of weeks about all of our favorite things that we did with our kids, things that we wish we would have known before we went, and just lots of tips and takeaways for you if you ever want to do a Glacier National Park trip with your family. If you are interested in knowing when that post is up on my website, make sure you're signed up for my newsletter, which you can get signed up for at 3in30podcast.com forward slash takeaways, and you will be notified when that is ready. So it's been an exhausting and super fun week. I haven't gotten a chance to record this episode until right now, but I have been thinking about this episode for years. Long before I even started 3 and 30, I was in essence thinking about this episode because it is based around one of my all-time favorite books. It's a book that's literally in my top three favorites. I first read it when Noah was a baby, so just, you know, about eight years ago. And even then, when I just had a little baby, when I read it, I knew that the parenting lessons in it were absolute gold. It is not a parenting book. It is a memoir, but there is so much that I learned about the type of parent that I want to be from reading this book. You're going to hear all about it within the episode. I feel like this is especially applicable for teenagers. So this episode is going to finish off teen month for us. This is episode 94. How to Help Your Teenagers Live a Better Story. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. My older sister, Sarah, had a few rough years in high school. I don't remember all of the particulars, but I remember that she hung out with a group of friends who liked to party. She attracted lots of attention from guys that my parents weren't exactly thrilled about. And she pushed back against our religious upbringing, wanting to find her own way and not be told what to believe. I'm two years younger than she is, and I remember that when we'd drive to the high school together, she would leave home wearing overalls. And then when we got to the school parking lot, (laughs) she would slide those overalls right off and be wearing a mini skirt underneath. And this is quite hilarious to me now as the mother of two very strong-willed children. Heaven help me when they get to their teen years. My parents worried about Sarah a lot. They worried about the influence of the friends that she hung out with, her choices with the boys she was dating, and the combativeness that had developed in their relationship. There were a few years there where Sarah and my parents fought a lot. But all of that started to change in the summer between my sister's junior and senior years of high school. But before I tell you about what brought about this change in Sarah, I have to go way back in time to when she was in elementary school. In about fourth grade, Sarah befriended a girl in her class named Brandy, who had spina bifida, and she used a wheelchair. They became inseparable. Brandy attended a summer camp for kids with disabilities in the mountains of Colorado, which is where I'm from, and she invited Sarah to come to camp with her as a friend and a helper. Sarah loved 
the experience. And we have the most amazing photo of Sarah sitting on Brandy's wheelchair with her, both of them grinning at each other as they waited to try horseback riding for the first time. And I will include that photo in the show notes on my website if you want to see it. Over the next several years, Sarah and Brandy kept in touch and Sarah volunteered here and there at the camp. But then she wasn't able to continue volunteering into high school because she made the drill team and then she became the captain of the drill team. And they had too many practices during those summer months for her to take time away to go to camp. But during the winter of her junior year, when Sarah was really in the height of her teen rebellion and pushing back against my parents, camp had a respite weekend during the school year and they needed volunteer counselors. And Sarah actually had the flexibility to go. And what she felt there that weekend completely changed her life. Camp is a magical place. You dress up in costumes for theme days every day. You stand on your chair and chant cheers in the cafeteria. And you help people with disabilities go on zip lines and ride horses and experience adventure, most of them for the very first time. It's really exciting and invigorating and fun. But it is also incredibly hard. As a counselor, you're in charge of the complete physical care of two to three campers, many of whom have dramatic physical and behavioral needs. You help with the toileting and the showering. You spoon feed your campers and even feed them through tubes in their stomachs if they need it. You lift heavy adults into and out of their wheelchairs and you get up multiple times in the middle of the night to shift and adjust your campers if they can't move their own bodies and they're uncomfortable in the camp bunk beds. This is not an experience that just any teenager would love, but Sarah loved it. She sensed that she was really good at it. She was able to make it through long, physically taxing days because of her grit and her strong will. And she was able to be fun and silly and distract difficult campers out of their defiant moods because of her energy and spirit. She came home from that respite weekend and made a really brave and big decision. She decided that she was going to quit the drill team. And remember, she'd been the captain so that she could go and work at camp that summer. My parents were probably surprised, but they were beyond supportive. They were thrilled to see this new story starting in Sarah's life. So Sarah went to camp, and in those months of taking care of kids and adults with disabilities, seeing the needs and the stories of people beyond herself and her high school group of friends, she completely changed. Her whole demeanor softened. She was kinder and gentler. She had more confidence in herself, a deep confidence in who she was and what she contributed to the world. She stopped hanging out with that group of friends that weren't making great decisions. She opened her heart back up to her religious beliefs and found her faith again. And she seemed to enjoy being home with our family a lot more. I thought about my sister Sarah's transformation when I read a book, or I should say reread a book recently called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. I talked a little bit about this book a few weeks ago in the episode about overcoming your inner teen. It really is one of my all-time favorites. And in this book, New York Times bestselling author Donald Miller explores how we all love to watch great stories in the movies and read great stories in novels, but many of us aren't living a great story. We're living sort of boring, lackluster lives without many meaningful challenges or adventures. And then we wonder why we aren't that happy. 
Within the memoir, he shares how he examined the principles of story that an author would use to write a novel or a screenplay, and he applied them to his own life. What he found was a depth of personal character and joy that he hadn't known before. And I related this so much to what my sister had experienced at camp. She had undertaken a challenge, an adventure, and in the process, she'd gotten the taste of a better story. A story where she knew that she was playing an important and meaningful role. She didn't want to go back to her cliche story of teenage rebellion. She wanted to be and do something better. So this is what I want to explore in this episode today. How do we take this principle of living a better story and apply it to our children, particularly our teenagers? How do we help them to see within themselves the hero of a truly great story? If your teenager is struggling or rebelling or floundering or suffering or fighting with you constantly, is there a way to get them into a better story? I'm going to share three takeaways in this episode that I learned from this book about living good stories that I truly believe can be applied to parenting teenagers. And the first takeaway is trust the story that they want to create. In my sister's case, she had this sort of natural gift, this interest in working with children of disabilities that had started when she was young and then had kind of gotten lost into her teen years. But when she found that spark again, when she found that hobby and that passion that she'd loved before, she really knew that something was there and she wanted to dive into that story. It could have been easy for my parents to kind of second guess it, to think, is she really cut out for this? Can she handle it? To question the amount of time that it would take away from our family time because it was an overnight camp. And so she was gone all summer except for weekends. And as a parent, I know like you always hear people say you only have 18 summers with your kids. But if you start giving those up when they go to be a counselor at an overnight camp, that can feel like a big sacrifice. But my parents trusted the story that she wanted to create. Sometimes our kids are asking us to believe in them, asking us to believe that they could be part of a better story or a bigger story. And all they need is our support and a little nudge to continue into that storyline. One aspect that I think is really important in this is just asking our kids for their input and their ideas on the cool stories that they want to live. There is a family in Donald Miller's book that embodies this perfectly. The family of Bob and Maria Goff. And you may have heard of Bob Goff before because he's become quite a famous author in his own right. But the first time that I ever heard of him was in Donald Miller's memoir. I think maybe it was the first time that anybody had heard of Bob Goff and he's become quite famous since then. He is a remarkable man and they have done a remarkable job raising their children. There's a story in the book that I loved. Um, Bob Goff was the American consul to Uganda and in that role, he had to meet with like foreign dignitaries and diplomats, and he was feeling nervous about it. And so he asked his children what they would say if they had to meet with the leader of a foreign country. And I'm just going to read you this excerpt from the book. Adam, the youngest, said he'd ask them if they wanted to sleep over. Bob said that was a terrific idea because when people sleep over, you get to know them really well. Lindsay said she'd ask them what they put their hope in. And Bob and Maria agreed that was a beautiful and important question. Richard, the oldest, who'd recently been given a video camera, said he'd want to record the interviews so he could make a movie. Bob and Maria thought that was a terrific idea, too. 
Bob said that if he ever met with a foreign leader, he'd remember their suggestions. But after thinking about it, Bob decided that the suggestions were too good to risk to chance. End quote. <laughs> Isn't that just the greatest? And this dad took the advice of his children, the story that they wanted to create, and he encouraged them to write letters to world leaders. So they researched all these world leaders. They found the addresses for 1,200 heads of state. They sent 1,200 letters. They didn't know if they would hear back from anyone, but they eventually heard back from 29 world leaders who said they couldn't come for a sleepover, but that they would love to host the Goth family in their country for an in-person interview with the children where the children could ask them what they hoped in. So the Goth family flew around the world to all of these different countries and the children got to talk to and meet with these world leaders. And Bob said that there's no way that he ever could have made the kind of relationships and connections with these dignitaries had it not been for the trust that he put in his children and the story that they wanted to create for their family. I want to read one more excerpt from the book about this story. Bob and Maria's kids, now grown and in high school and college, each have a quiet dignity and confidence. It's obvious they'd played the roles in the story their family was living. The roles of foreign dignitaries traveling with their parents on the important assignment of asking world leaders what they hope in. Their story had given them their character. End quote. Now, I don't want you to think that you have to be a foreign dignitary and fly your kids all over the world in order for them to live a cool story. That's just not the case. For most of us, that's not reasonable. But I love in this story that he took their ideas and went with it. He was willing to trust in the story that they wanted to create, just like my parents were willing to trust in the story that Sarah wanted to create for her life. My advice is to look at the seeds of the stories that are already playing out in your kid's life and then nurture and water and grow those and support those. If they come to you with a wild idea that has something to do with their innate passions and gifts, go with it. And believe in it. And sometimes you may even have to bring out that gift or idea yourself and sort of guide them to a better story, which leads to our second takeaway, which is to create an opportunity for them to live a better story. For this takeaway, I'm going to read a pretty long excerpt from the book, but it's totally worth it. This was my favorite chapter in the whole book, and it's called How Jason Saved His Family. Here we go. When I got back from Los Angeles, I got together with my friend Jason, who has a 13-year-old daughter named Rachel. He was feeling down because he and his wife had found pot hidden in their daughter's closet. She was dating a guy, too, a kid who smelled like smoke and only answered questions with single words. Yeah, no, whatever, and why. Jason figured this guy was the reason his daughter was experimenting with drugs. You thinking about grounding her, I asked, not allowing her to date him? We've tried that, but it's gotten worse. Jason shook his head and fidgeted his fingers on the table. Then I said something that caught his attention. I said his daughter was living a pretty terrible story. What do you mean? He asked. To be honest, I didn't know exactly what I meant. I probably wouldn't have said it if I hadn't been learning about all the story stuff. But I told him that the elements of a story involve a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. Even as I said this, I wasn't sure how it applied to his daughter. Go on, my friend said. I don't know exactly, but she's just not living a very good story. She's caught up in a bad one. I said a lot of other things, and he kept asking questions. We must have talked for an hour or more, just about story, about how novels work and why some movies are meaningful and others simply aren't. I didn't think much of it. I just figured he was curious about stories. A couple of months later, I ran into Jason and asked about his daughter. She's better, he said to me, smiling. 
and when I asked why, he told me his family was living a better story. The night after we talked, Jason couldn't sleep. He thought about the story his daughter was living and the role she was playing inside that story. He realized he hadn't provided a better role for his daughter. He hadn't mapped out a story for his family, and so his daughter had chosen another story, a story in which she was wanted, even if she was only being used. In the absence of a family story, she'd chosen a story in which there was risk and adventure, rebellion and independence. She's not a bad girl, my friend had said. She was just choosing the best story available to her. So how did you get her out of it, I asked, and I couldn't believe what he told me next. Jason decided to stop yelling at his daughter and instead created a better story to invite her into. He remembered that I told him a story involves a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. I started researching some stuff on the internet, Jason said, and I came across an organization that builds orphanages around the world, and that sounded to me like a pretty good ambition, something maybe my family could try to do together. It sounded like a good story. So I called this organization, Jason continued, and it takes about $25,000 to build one of these orphanages. And the truth is, we don't have the money. I mean, we just took out a second mortgage, but I knew if we were going to tell a good story, it would have to involve some risk. That's true, I said. So I went home and I called the family meeting, my friend continued. I told them about this village in Mexico and about the orphanage and all these terrible things that could happen if these kids don't get an orphanage. Then I told them I agreed to build it. You're kidding me, I said. No, I'm not. And my wife sat there looking at me like I'd lost my mind. And my daughter, her eyes were as big as melons and she wasn't happy. She knew this would mean she'd have to give up her allowance and who knows what else. They just sat there in silence. And the longer they sat there, the more I wondered if I'd lost my mind too. I actually think you might have lost your mind, I said, feeling somewhat responsible. (laughs) Well, maybe so, Jason said, looking away for a second with a smile. But it's working out. I mean, things are getting pretty good, Don. A few nights later, Rachel came into our bedroom and asked if we could go to Mexico. My wife and I just sort of looked at her and didn't know what to say. So then Rachel crawled between us in bed like she did when she was little. She said she could talk about the orphanage on her website and maybe people could help. She could post pictures. She wanted to go to Mexico to meet the kids and take pictures for her website. That's incredible, I said. You know what else, man, Jason said? She broke up with her boyfriend last week. She had his picture on her dresser and took it down and told me he said she was too fat. Can you believe that? What a jerk. A jerk, I agreed. But that's dead now, Jason said, shaking his head. No girl who plays the role of a hero dates a guy who uses her. She knows who she is. She just forgot for a little while. End quote. Okay, there are so many things that I love about this story. The dad found a better story. He created a better story for his family and invited them into it. And sure enough, his daughter could sense the role that she could play in this more exciting adventure. And she stepped out of the boring story that she was living to join a story that was better. And again, this doesn't have to be a grand thing that involves traveling. This could be something that you decide to do as a family on a smaller scale. And it doesn't even have to be a family story. It can be your kid's personal story. If you notice their passion and you search and research and find a really cool opportunity for them to use their passion and step into it, that can be a way to invite them into a better story that could potentially change their life. Okay, my third and final takeaway is to improve your current story with your teenager by adding in memorable scenes. This was a really fun section of the book where Donald Miller talked about how all great movies and stories have memorable scenes that stand out to you long after you've finished watching that film or reading that book. You'll have certain scenes and settings and moments that 
that you'll keep in your mind forever. And one of the ways that you can do that is to embrace whimsy. And he defines that as the nagging idea that life could be magical, that it could be special if we were only willing to take a few risks. He talks about going on a road trip with friends. They were driving by a field at sunset, and one of them commented on how much she'd always wanted to run through fields as a little girl. And Donald just pulled the truck over to the side of the road and said, well, go do it. And she hopped out and ran through the field. And then when she got back in, they he just drove off-roaded the truck up to the top of a hill, and they watched the sun go down together. He just took a small detour from the plans of the day and embraced whimsy and captured a memorable scene. He was on the lookout for something that could make life a little different and a little more special. We can do that in our family life. We can be aware of moments that could be made a little bit more memorable if we just put in the extra energy to be fun or to do something kind of different that our kids will remember. Another example from the book is there was a dad whose daughter came home from prom dress shopping with her mom and she went, she tried on her prom dress and then she came out to show her dad and he was watching TV and she said, dad, look, I found the prom dress and he looked at her and he could tell she wanted a big reaction from him, but he didn't really know what to say. He said, oh, you look beautiful. She said, thanks dad and kind of walked away and he thought well that was kind of anticlimactic and he felt kind of bad about it and he went back to watching tv and all of a sudden he just thought no like i'm gonna seize this moment so he turned off the tv and he went and he got in his suit and he got a camera and he came back to the room where his wife and his daughter were pinning the dress to be hemmed and knocked on the door and his daughter answered and she was surprised to see him in a suit which he rarely wore and he said I just wanted to know if I could get a picture with this beautiful girl in her beautiful dress. And she was like giggling and smiling and he came in and they took the picture together and then sat on the bed while his wife did the pens and they ended up laughing and talking about their high school prom memories with their daughter until late into the night. He embraced a moment and made a memorable scene. One example of this from my own life I was traveling once with my parents shortly after my high school graduation. We met up with some really good friends that I never saw, I didn't see very often, and they wanted to take me out dancing, which I had never done before and I was nervous about, but I got all dolled up and remember it was just my mom and dad and me on this trip. And I went out dancing with them and when I got home, my mom had known I was going to get home really late, but she told me to wake her up. When I got home, I kind of woke her up and she easily could have just rolled over and gone back to sleep, but she knew how excited I'd been about that night. And so when I got home and I nudged her, she hopped out of bed and said, and beckoned to me and said, come with me. And she took me into the bathroom so that we wouldn't wake up my dad. And I just remember us both sitting on the floor of the bathroom in the hotel and me just squealing, like telling her about how much fun I'd had and this cute boy that I danced with and that's a memorable scene sitting on the floor of a bathroom <laughs> talking to my mom about going out dancing on this trip that I had with my parents. And capturing and taking advantage of these memorable scenes, it doesn't always have to be just like easy, fun, whimsical moments. Sometimes you can create memorable scenes with your kids by doing hard things together. There was an excerpt from the book that I really loved that I'm going to read to you about a family that decided to do a really hard thing together. This is what it says. 
I saw a documentary once about a group of families who transplanted from their suburban lives into rural Montana, where they lived on the open prairie for a solid year. Each family had to build their own cabin and live off the land. The family I remember most had come from the coast of California, where they had a multi-million dollar mansion on a cliff overlooking the ocean. The father had signed the family up for the adventure because his marriage wasn't doing well and the conflict was affecting the kids. And so they went from a 30-room mansion to a single room in a field, without electricity, without running water. There was a father and mother and two teenagers, a son and a daughter. The men had to work the field, even though neither father nor son had any experience in farming, and the girls spent what seemed like all day preparing food for three simple meals. But the interesting thing is that they bonded. Without all the trappings of modern life and without the gadgets we use to make life simple, the family came together. I was saddened at the end of the documentary when, after a year, the filmmakers went back to visit each family. They interviewed the young girl who was sitting in the hot tub behind the mansion, looking down over the beach. The interviewer asked if she was glad to be home, and the girl sat and thought for a moment and then said no. She said her mother and father were fighting again, and she never saw her brother. There was a tear coming down her cheek as she said this. She said she wished they could go back to Montana, where everything was easier. Wow, right? <laughs> That just goes to show you that sometimes doing really hard things with your kids, adding in memorable hard things, will be the things that bond you the most, bring you together the most. And even if they complain about it, it's what they will love and remember and even miss after it's over. So be on the lookout for possible memorable scenes in your relationship with your teenager. Don't be afraid to put in a little bit of extra energy, time, and effort to making those happen. So to recap my three takeaways about how to help your teen live a better story. Number one, trust the story that they want to create. Number two, create an opportunity for them to live a better story. And number three, improve your current story by adding in memorable scenes. Something that I love about the concept of living a better story is that a lot of times these will lead you to opportunities for your kids to learn about other people's stories. And that will forever change them. Once they are outside of their own narrow worldview, they get to know other people's stories, their story, and their understanding of the role that they play in the world will change. I definitely saw that in my sister after she spent a summer loving all of these people with disabilities and getting to talk to their families and hear about what it was like to have a child with disabilities. She really gained a new sense of gratitude for her life. My sister's story also greatly impacted my story. Because she had such a great experience at camp, I decided to go and work at that camp. And I worked at that camp all through my last few years of high school and college. It also led to me going to work at an orphanage in El Salvador for people with disabilities. I never would have had that interest in working with people with disabilities if it weren't for my older sister's example and how she showed me that there was more to life than my small little high school world and she in essence invited me into a better story which leads so well into the quote that I want to end with today Donald Miller says this about living a better story that's the thing you'll realize when you organize your life into the structure of story You'll get a taste of one story and then you'll want another and then another and the stories will build until you are living a kind of epic risk and reward and the whole thing will be molding you into the actual character whose roles you've been playing. And once you've lived a good story, you get a taste for the kind of meaning in life and you can't go back to being normal. You can't go back to meaningless scenes stitched together by the forgettable thread of wasted time.
So it is my hope that we can introduce our kids, particularly our teenagers, to really compelling stories. And once they get a taste of that, they are going to want more stories and more stories. And their future is going to unfold before them in a totally new and exciting and impactful way. If you want to learn more about living a better story, I highly recommend that you read or listen to the entirety of Donald Miller's book. It's a great audiobook. It's fairly short, so you can get through it in one long road trip. And I will put a link to that in the show notes, as well as I'm going to do something a little extra with my email newsletter this week. I'm going to be sending a simple worksheet that you can use to take the concepts in this episode and apply them to your own children. Three questions that will get you thinking deeply about how you can help them to live a better story. So if you're not already signed up for my newsletter, please make sure you do that. 3in30podcast.com forward slash takeaways. And of course, as always, I will put the link to that and everything else I've mentioned in the show notes in your podcast app and on my website. We can do this, my friends. We can live great stories. We can build great family stories and we can invite our kids to create their own epic stories. Please know that I am rooting for you and I hope that you have a great week with your family. 